Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the uh, Brazos Point living room. We are <laughs> glad to be back together again. We have the three amigos. We've got Randy Dandy Dane. Buenos dias. Michelle Masterson. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> and myself. Uh, so this what week. Got? Huh? Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Guten Tag. <laughs> Jumbo. Uh, this week, we are continuing our message series in John, and we are in uh, John chapter 7. And so, first question for you guys is, what is your favorite beverage? Uh, do ice cream-based beverages count? Ice cream? Like a Coke float? Yeah, like a Coke float, milkshake, something. Ooh. Yeah, do those count? Like, can that be, is that I a mean, beverage or is that a dessert? Uh, whatever you would like to say. <laughs> I actually really love, so first of all, I love anything fizzy. Like if we're not letting ice cream based beverages count, I still, almost any soda, but I really love a Dr. Pepper blended float. I like my floats to be blended so that it's really more like a milkshake. Not that I'll turn down a float that's not blended, but Dr. Pepper actually makes my favorite float. I think a Coke. Any kind of Coke mixed with ice cream is probably the best shake. Yes, I agree. I'm surprised you didn't say Big Red. <laughs> I do love Your Big, big Red. Old that might be my favorite soda. I also <laughs> love grape soda, Welch's, and I love orange soda, Sunkist. <laughs> These days, I do drink. It's not. It's not um, name brand Big Red. <laughs> it's H E B. What's it called? Is it Wild Red? <laughs> she, has the, she has the beverage palette of a five-year-old. <laughs> 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 like Shakes and, and fruit soda. drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I like... Do you like Capri Suns? <laughs> I don't really that much, actually. <laughs> but Joseph always gives me a hard time when I drink diet sodas because he can't get over the fact that there's zero calories in them. He doesn't believe in it. <laughs> I don't understand that at all. Like, yeah. How is how is whatever's in that can zero calories? There's a difference between not understanding and not believing. He it's really pro- doesn't yeah, believe yeah, it. Yeah, it's just I don't believe. Someone's lying. Like he, yeah, so that's like, it. It's a yeah. he conspiracy. He will actually get worked up and like angry about it when Someone's I sat lying. down a diet wild red in a meeting or something. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. no. There's no way. It's a massive conspiracy. I mean, you think about it. It's like everybody's lying to ourselves about that. When you think about it. Yeah, when you yeah, think about then it. Then he starts getting rude. <laughs> <laughs> Mine about is, you, Randy? Mine's super simple. It's unsweet tea with sweet and low. I, I drink a sweet lot. Sweet it yourself? Yeah, yeah. I drink a lot of unsweet tea with sweet and low. Like a lot. Oh. That's pretty much primarily what I drink other than a cup of coffee in the morning and a cup of coffee in the afternoon. Otherwise, unsweet tea with sweet and low. What's Ooh. your ratio? Packets to... Two. Two to one normal Restaurant size, size glass, yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably, <laughs> I'd say it's probably about 12 ounces, I would guess. Two okay. to one. My guess for you was going to be the grape juice. It's being served at the Lord's Supper. It's Welch's. Randy can't even, can't even finish his, uh, his message without taking a drink. <laughs> so that good. good. So good. Imagine if it was tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the funniest laugh I've had. Um, in a while thank you <laughs> uh mine is very boring don't say water i think it is water. no yeah. no Joseph richard castillo no <laughs> you give us a different uh-huh. answer or coffee okay thank you 
which is water. How do you drink your coffee? Uh, cream. <laughs> no sugar. No sugar? Really? Mm-hmm. Flavored cream? Yeah. Like is the cream itself? Yeah. I, it, I'll tell you, in our, our little fridge there, yeah. half more, than, like 90% of the stuff is sugar-free, and I will go for the, I want. Yeah, he I'll, gets angry at our zero sugar creamers, Because too. it tastes bad. <laughs> it's a lie. Because it tastes bad. They're lies. That's the only reason. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm going to splurge, I'm going to splurge in this tiny little splash of cream. <laughs> it makes my coffee taste horrible. But do you actually like, like water? Like it makes you happy? Yeah. I mean, No, it makes me mad. Oh, yeah. I love water. Huh. <laughs> what? Like what he, like, like I'll, I will drink a Dr. Pepper float, or the, but like the sweets thing, my fam, like Emily, all of our kids. And her side of the family is all love sweets, huge sweet tooth. That just does not get me. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I'm like that. Uh, I drink a lot of water. You're more of a savory, salty kind of guy, huh? Yeah, give me a steak. But like, that's <laughs> never going to be my favorite beverage. Hmm. No, this is sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my calories elsewhere. <laughs> well, sweet that's, tea with sweet low is zero I, do, calories. I, do, I actually do love sweet tea. That's respectable. I'll take my calories elsewhere. <laughs> Not me, man. I'll put my Dr. Pepper in my ice cream. <laughs> Give me some big red. Not like every day. Gosh. I do love me a big red. If I had to pick a soda. Yeah, you do. I do love me a soda. Uh, it's just, it burns. <laughs> so good. It burns, it burns, it burns so, so good. good. <laughs> it's so sweet and burny. Uh, all right. <laughs> Well, the reason we're talking about beverages is because Jesus is going to talk about water and thirst. And uh, today, um, as we jump into John chapter 7, we see that Jesus, in the midst of a religious festival uh, that is very well known, and he's in Jerusalem, in the midst of it all, he's going to stand up and start to teach, and he's got some statements. And so, uh, in the midst of all of this, it says, uh, as they are in the... um, Uh, going through these rituals and these traditions, Jesus stands up and he begins to talk about himself. And he says, whoever believes in me uh, will have, uh, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And he starts talking about, I am the one who, who God has promised. I'm the one you've been waiting for. So my first question is, what really is the setting of what's going on here? Uh, The setting in which Jesus stands up and what makes his statement so crazy? Well, the setting is the temple, and you know it's a space that is dedicated to the worship of God, and so it is. It's it's either true or it's absolute heresy, right? So that's what makes it crazy. Is he's basically standing in God's house saying, "I am God," and so you can imagine. I mean, for the people that are experiencing that, mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal. Yeah, it makes me think about uh, your message last week and the fact that Jesus was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go. Uh, it's not time yet. Right, it's not my time yet. <laughs> and his his siblings and are like, hey. Uh, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his siblings are trying to get him to go, hey, make, a, make it public. And, and there's probably something else going on there. But it's like, here he is standing up in the middle of the temple. Like, mm, it's pretty out there. It's in the temple, and it's in the midst, kind of at the peak, busiest part of the festival that they were there for, the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles or Festival of 
booths or shelters. And I think the cool thing there, too, is that that commemorates a time in Israel's history where they didn't have water to drink until God gave it to them, you know, until he provided it for them. So this is a people group who's very familiar with the idea of needing water. I think, too, just, I mean, being reminded of how sacred the temple is as a space, you know, like it's such a sacred space. And so for him to do this in that space, he's stirring the pot, man. Yeah. Well, one of the things Jesus says is those who believe in him will have rivers of living water flow from within them. So what is it that Jesus is actually saying? I don't know, but now I feel bad that my favorite drink's not water. (laughs) 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 I see what you did, Joseph. (laughs) The rivers of Big Red flowing from within you. (laughs) That would look scary. (laughs) It burns so good. (laughs) That would look scary. Um, so what does it mean? Rivers of living water flow from within you. I mean, it's a reference to the, the spirit, you know, that, that ultimately God's plan is to usher in a new covenant of grace through Jesus and his work on the cross and his work in the resurrection from the dead. And then ultimately the, the gift for those who come to believe is going to be the indwelling of the spirit. That's why it's significant that this is in the temple because, the temple is the place where the spirit of God resides mm-hmm. and the temple is about to shift from being a building to being a people. And the temple is going to be people who step over the line of faith and God's going to place the spirit, the presence of God inside the people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is a game changer, man. And so what he's saying is you're not, it's not just one drink. You're going to have a limitless supply of drink in the sense that the spirit of God is going to dwell within you and flow f- out from you mm-hmm. and it, it won't be quenched and it won't run dry. It kind of makes me think about when he said he was the bread of life, you know, like I think in this moment, he's using a physical need that the people are familiar with. And like he did with the woman at the well, he talks about anyone who drinks my water will not thirst again. And and now he's talking about maybe even meeting a spiritual need that they might not know they have at this point, but he's using a need that they are familiar with to kind of help them maybe start to see what he's talking about when he's saying, you're going to have my Holy Spirit. That source is going to be in you, and you'll never, like once once you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside you, you don't have to keep like you keep going to the source, Jesus, but like it's there, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you won't thirst anymore for that because you'll have it. Well, and that's such a, a good picture of, of what a game changer this is because the spirit dwelled in the temple, you know, mm-hmm. that's where you went to be near the presence of God. And this is it's such a game changer. This would it, be, be a like, radical... <laughs> yeah, instead of having to go to the well, the well is going to be inside of you. Yeah. Instead of having to go to the temple, you become the temple. It's a, it's a massive change, and it's a lot for them to wrap their minds around. Yeah, especially when you think about all the detail and care and specifications that went into the temple and how it had to be constructed and where, the, where he did indwell and all of that now to say to them like hey that spirit's going to be inside you like i just can't even wrap my mind around how 
they that would have been sitting on them. I also like thinking about rivers, you know? It's mm-hmm. not not uh, a spring, like mm-hmm. some gentle bubbling brook. Right. It's not, you know, uh, a trickle. <clears throat> like it's rivers. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a flow of the Spirit coming mm-hmm. out of us in abundance. Yeah. Like big red flowing <laughs> out of... <laughs> Uh, well, to uh, really get the full picture of what is happening here, or what uh, some a couple verses that are helpful are Isaiah fifty-five. It's clearly what Jesus is echoing here. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, and Jesus is saying that's about me. And then if you go a little further into John at the end, John twenty talks a little bit about the Spirit as well. So I want to have a couple conversations. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah fifty-five starts by saying, "Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money." Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So my question is, what does the invitation to buy wine and milk without money or cost really mean? I honestly, these verses aren't real familiar to me. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued by these. I'm, I'm interested in getting to know it better. But uh, it doesn't, you know, on the surface seem to make sense mm-hmm. to buy without money is what? It's a gift. Yeah, ultimately. And so, uh, you know, I I think, I think the correlation here is that it's the same with, it's the same with relationship with God. It's a grace gift that's Mm -hmm. being bought by Jesus. There is a cost and, and it is costly and Mm -hmm. he's doing all of it in order for us to have this gift of the spirit so that we have the promise of the living water flowing from within us. Um, Mm. but he's the one paying the bill. Yeah. Kind of what I take from this this verse is clearly saying, all you who are thirsty, all you who have need, um, can just imagine uh, feeling like, if we're talking about God's presence, um, being far from it, and feeling like uh, you have no money, but you're hungry and you're thirsty. And just from a spiritual context, like understanding like, yeah, like <laughs> I need this so badly and there's nothing I can do mm. to fix it. I don't have money to buy it. And yet here's an invitation from the coming Messiah. Hey, come buy this wine and milk without money, without cost. I'm coming. And that's part of the the, the craziness of what Jesus came and what you can see uh, that they must have missed in the prophecies that he was coming to be a suffering savior, mm-hmm. Messiah. It's really the opposite of a, a sign that my aunt used to have in her house that said, free beer tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's a trick, right? Free beer tomorrow. You come back tomorrow and it's free beer tomorrow. This is no, no, no. Buy wine and milk without money. <laughs> this is a better promise. <laughs> I think there's something to learn in verse two there too. Joseph, were you reading the NIV? Yes. So my translation I've got right now is the New Living Translation, and it says, Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? And I think there's some caution in there, too, about how we maybe in the not being able to understand this free wine and milk and water that leaves us never thirsty again, we turn to things that we do understand or think we understand, Mm -hmm. things that are tangible, things that we do see, but ultimately don't give us strength. Like those are, you know, the false waters. (laughs) If you keep reading, it says, why drink just water when you could have it with corn syrup and caffeine? <laughs> Joseph. Wow, we're really not letting this go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is pretty on brand for us. 
well, if you go to the end of the book of John, it talks uh, as as Jesus is talking about the Spirit and talking about living water from uh, coming from within those who believe in Him. Uh, John chapter twenty talks a little bit about uh, that the Spirit had not yet been given. Excuse me, John seven talks about the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so my question, to you guys, is like, why had the Holy Spirit not yet been given? Um, the the Spirit is not at present, right? That that Jesus is referring to, and how does the Holy Spirit change the follower of Jesus? Yeah, I think the the Spirit's not yet been given because Jesus has not yet ascended back into heaven. Which obviously we we know that because that's how this does unfold. Um, but I think it's important to note that this is not the introduction of the Holy Spirit to the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Spirit has been active and present all throughout the Bible from creation, you know, before creation forward. And so the Spirit's been working in in different ways. We can recognize that through the lens of, you know, progressive revelation with all that we know, having seen and understood the New Testament, and, and that's different than an Old Testament reading. But you see the Holy Spirit all over the place. And so uh, I think to me, like, what I want to point out is, the Spirit has been present, but not yet given in the sense of indwelling people, the people who believe, you know. You do see moments in the Old Testament where the Spirit is actually dwelling on a unique or anointed person. But like, this is all believers, all persons who have given their lives to Christ. And uh, and it's just, it's such a, a significant change in regards to the new and better promises. You know, like the new covenant is referred to as having new and better promises over the old covenant. The old covenant was a good gift of grace. The new covenant is a better gift of grace. And at the heart of what makes it better and the promises that are greater is the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Hmm. When it asks, when you ask, um, how does the Holy Spirit change the follower of Jesus kind of... Whoops. Going along with what Randy said, um, you know, now you do have the Holy Spirit inside you, and that's different than how it has been. And I think that that when you have the Holy Spirit inside you, part of what it's doing is empowering you. You know, like when we repent from sin and try to turn away from that sin, we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. And so that makes me think about the come get free wine and milk thing. Like it's given, we have, we can have the Holy Spirit just by accepting that grace, but we couldn't afford it even if it wasn't, you know, like we couldn't have afforded it. Like that wine and milk that was being given out for free we couldn't have done it on ourselves. Like the cost was covered, but even if it wasn't, we couldn't have covered it. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Well, I think it's the, you know, how does it change the life of the Christ follower? It's a dynamic change from go to the temple to be near the presence of God, to be the temple and and have the indwelling presence of God in you. And so, uh, and access to God, it changes everything. Yeah. Like we, yeah. Well, if we continue on in John chapter 7, you see Jesus continues to teach. And it says, upon hearing his words, some of the people uh, started to honestly debate and fight amongst themselves about who Jesus was. Uh, And so my question is, how does Jesus cause division among the people? Because even in the text, it says that, that he caused division among them. Uh, And so how is he causing division? 
I mean, it's, it's what you just said. It's a, it, the division is created along the lines of who is Jesus, right? It's about his identity. Is he a, a heretic that's standing in a holy place claiming to be God when he's not? Or is he literally the very son of God, God himself, who's come to earth in human flesh? You know, and, and that's it. It's like, uh, it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground like what we talked about last weekend. Uh, and that is divisive. And, and you know, I don't want to steal the thunder of the next question, but honestly, that's still, that mm-hmm. is still what causes division today is who is Jesus? What is he and what isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes me think of this past week when you talked about um, the real Jesus and how there are false Jesuses out there. And that's what we kind of piece together. We take the parts of Jesus that are comfortable, that we like, that reflect kind of what we want, and then we leave out other parts. And um, something I learned when I was reading this passage is that, you know, it kind of camped out on the people saying, well, he can't be the Messiah because he's from Galilee. And doesn't the prophecy say that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem? So what... I think is so applicable, applicable, <laughs> what we can apply is that these people were jumping to a conclusion because they didn't know the whole truth. They didn't know Jesus' whole story. Like he had spent most of his life in that area. And so maybe he had an accent that made him really stand out as being from Galilee. And nobody put together that, okay, he, he is, oh, he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, maybe he is the Messiah. And it's because they didn't, they didn't know the whole Jesus. And so for us, I think what we apply is making sure that we don't jump to conclusions without really going to the Bible and trying to understand the whole picture of God's redemption plan. Hmm. I love there later in the text, it says Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of, one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And the people are either saying he is the Messiah, they're saying he's a prophet, some are saying he's just a liar, he should be arrested. And Nicodemus says, hey, like, I like what you're saying, Michelle, like people are rushing to conclusions. They don't know the full story. And yet Nicodemus is kind of saying, hey, doesn't our law tell us that we should really try to understand what he's saying before jumping to making our conclusions? So it's clear he's, he's, he's causing division among the people. And so the next question is, in what ways does Jesus still cause division today? Well, I think, I think it's really, really similar. Like they were anticipating Messiah. You know, mm-hmm. and in spite of anticipating Messiah, they're not believing that this guy is it because he doesn't meet their expectations mm. of what Messiah will look like. And I think there's a lot of ways that that's actually how Jesus still causes division today because I think he still defies people's expectations <clears throat> of what God could and should look like and what a Savior does and doesn't look like. Yeah, he's not what they were expecting. And not only is he not what they were expecting, but for some of the people, they're not what they were wanting, you know, like they were expecting something different. But now that Jesus is here making these claims saying, no, actually, this is why I came. They're not really, they don't like that as much. They wanted him to rush in and wipe out the Romans. Hmm. Yeah, I just think it's like, like you said, Randy, um, the, the division that's seen here in the text still happens today. And it's something that, you know, you just live life uh, and you'll see people 
uh, fighting about who Jesus is or, or choosing to believe him or not, or even fighting about who the real Jesus is, mm-hmm. um, it still um, happens today and, and very easy to see. Uh, my last question, you know, as we're talking about uh, Jesus and him making this promise, if you are thirsty, come to me, believe in me. I have what truly satisfies um, that you cannot find anywhere else. My last question is, how does Jesus satisfy our desires and longings in life? He's making that promise here to all who would come to him. So how does he satisfy our desires and longings? I almost always go to just the the rest that he brings to our striving souls, you know, like following the, the picture of water, you know, instead of working and working and working and working for soul-quenching water, we have this endless supply of water that's just given to us. And what that does is it takes all the striving, all the working, and it brings a ceasing to that that allows us then to just relax in the grace of God. And that doesn't mean that we live a, a, a passive life that's not active and engaged in, in kingdom kinds of things. It just changes our motivations. And instead of working to be approved, we work from a position of being loved fully loved and completely approved because of Christ. And uh, and just the kind of rest that that brings to us, it, it changes everything. And it puts us in a, a totally different place of why we do the things that we do. And so, um, and that's what, that's what I love about following Jesus. That's what I love about what Jesus has done for us is that he really has been the one that brings that kind of rest to our weary souls. Yeah, and similar to rest, I think what I think of is peace and the peace that comes from his presence. And that goes hand in hand with His with the Holy Spirit um, being in us because we always have his presence. And that is what he promised. You know, we talk a lot about how he didn't promise an easier life. Um, he didn't promise that there wouldn't be suffering, and that is really hard sometimes. And our desires are often that, um, obviously, that that suffering would go away, that people would be healed, that, you know, these losses wouldn't happen or whatever it is. And we long for things that aren't necessarily bad things to long for, but what we know is that what we really need, what, what our biggest need is, is him and his presence. And we do have that. So in a way, even in those desires and those longings that we may still have, I can still have peace in knowing that however those things end up, I have his presence and that's what I really, really need. Mm-hmm. Cue the the Tim Keller jingle, because uh, <laughs> what Tim Keller says is like when you view your relationship with God, do you see yourself as living in the house of the Lord? You know, kind of metaphorically speaking, like being in God's family, being in His house as a border or as a child. Uh, both live in someone else's house, but it's fundamentally different relationships. And a border is always aware. Of somebody's renting. a renter, yeah, yeah, is always aware of how much debt they have and the debt that they owe and what it takes to continue to, to live there by living in this payment plan, and and it's it's a working right. You're constantly working. You're constantly working at keeping the rules. You're constantly working at keeping your end of the contract and your end of the conditions of the the lease agreement. 
whereas a child lives there freely uh, and it's a grace gift, you know? Like I think about, man, my kids have got it real good in my house, right? <laughs> I was going to say, my kids do not think about no. all the money that goes into No, it's absolute freedom, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we had this conversation the other day. Uh, maybe I'm not, you know, a godlike figure in my house then. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is how good you got it, Jack. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I love that. I love that illustration because it, to me, it, it's such a, a powerful representation of how God does satisfy our longings. Like mm-hmm. we relate to him as, as a dependent child, not as a, a earn and work your way renter. Hmm. I love the fact that Jesus's words still ring so true thousands of years later. And uh, there are many of these instances where he, he talks about people who are striving, looking for the woman at the well, who's also coming to get water. Uh, but just the truth of he's saying, you come every day to this place and you're going to have to keep coming every day. But if you knew who you were, you're talking to, I have something to offer you that's better. And <clears throat> I just think even having lived just life, his words are so true. Like I have tried to put other things in that place. I have tried to uh, uh, quench these desires and these longings and things that satisfy and nothing has ever in my life just even my own my own examples that i can see nothing has ever satisfied the way that jesus and his spirit has Mm -hmm. uh, god's spirit and i just think there's real life evidence of jesus words in my own life something i was thinking about i have a little bit of encouragement like if you are um listening to this podcast and we're talking about having the holy spirit inside you and that sounds like something that is hard to understand and hard to see one thing that has really helped me that i would encourage is to um is to begin trying to find out what your spiritual giftedness is if you don't already know what that is um if you are a follower of jesus you do have a spiritual gift and if you do know what your spiritual gifts may be um then i would encourage you to just look for every opportunity you can to exercise those gifts and i think that's one way that I have really come to understand a little bit more about having the Holy Spirit in me is because these spiritual gifts really are things that the Holy Spirit is doing, you know, like, like I, I know it's not me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you say that too, because like, I think it's important to say I don't. I don't live with this like second by second, minute by minute, right. constant realization that the spirit is dwelling within me. Yeah. You know, um, like I, I do forget that. And even now, on, on on this side of this story, where it sounds like such a radical thing, it still sounds pretty different. You know. Yeah. I really do think that the indwelling of the spirit is one of the hardest core Christian concepts to understand, but it's so significant. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we're glad you listened. Uh, just so that you know, Randy and I have not yet raced. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and Randy's about to be leaving town, so we'll have to postpone <laughs> that, apparently, uh, a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm not leaving. Okay. I'm not the one leaving. 
Uh, but Maybe you should start <clears throat> drinking only water for a while, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. I'm going to load up on Big Red. Light on your feet. That's my, <laughs> that's my race fuel. <laughs> Run with the fire okay. of Big Red. <laughs> Big Red and a moon pie. That is the most redneck dessert ever. <laughs> what about Mountain Dew? Anybody? I'm not a huge fan. So smooth. Well, that's kind of why I don't like it as much. It's not as burny. Yeah. It doesn't burn. (laughs) Not as burny. It's so smooth. Cool. Well, we'll keep you updated. (laughs) Cool. You'll know when it happens. Uh, But thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.